This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews chapter 4. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 4. Um, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews 4 this morning. <clears throat> be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This morning I want to talk to you about the Word of God, in particular the powerful Word of God, how it is alive, how it is active, how it is sharp. I have heard it proclaimed that sometimes people don't want to sit through a long sermon despite the fact that a typical TV show is an hour long. We are told that people just can't handle long sermons. In fact, the most common preaching length is between 20 and 28 minutes. And this length is growing among most pastors. The second most frequent length of a sermon is between 45 and 55 minutes. However, the number of pastors that preach that length of sermon is diminishing. It's no wonder why our churches often tend to be spiritually shallow when we continue to say that people can't spend 40 minutes contemplating God's Word. Many churches and pastors are, in fact, moving to what is called seeker-sensitive churches, and they preach seeker-sensitive sermons that are built around some felt need that people will have in their life, and they will have a cool video clip or maybe a drama uh, to go along with their message. Not that there's anything wrong with video clips and dramas. And they do that in order to hold the people's attention even better. The, these messages often will not mention sin, or they might make people un, or, or they're not going to make people uncomfortable because they want everybody to feel good when the message is over. I'm still trying to figure out how we think people are going to grow through less preaching of God's Word. When John MacArthur was asked about how long a sermon should be, he said this, as long as it takes to cover the passage adequately. I do not think the length of the sermon is as important as its content. The important thing is to cover the main points so that people are convinced of its truth and comprehend its requirements. If you have nothing worthwhile to say, even 20 minutes will seem like an eternity to your people. <clears throat> it seems like uh, too often we have an approach to ministry inside the church that is centered around the denial of the power of God's Word to convert sinners, and God's Word to build up God's people by exposing their sins 
and pointing them to God's grace that is found at God's cross. God's word is powerful. If I'm mentoring someone or trying to help them preach, I have often told them that God's word is inspired, not yours. Martin Luther got saved by studying God's word. He was specifically looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which reads this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. People praised Luther for the role he played in the Great Reformation. He said this concerning it, And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The Word did everything. The Word did everything. Well, the Reformation reached Geneva through the preaching of one John Calvin who would typically preach an hour per sermon and would preach twice on Sunday and would preach a sermon each weekday on alternate weeks. He not only preached, but he taught. He visited the sick, he counseled, and he wrote books and commentaries. Calvin would preach directly out of his Hebrew and Greek testaments without notes. In 1538, he was banished from Geneva. They later realized they made a grave mistake. They brought him back in 1541, and Calvin started preaching right where he left off in 1538, as if he had not missed a Sunday. I want you to understand something this morning. The Word of God is powerful. Far too often as Christians, we don't give it credit. And here we have Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 speaking of the power of God's Word. The author has been delivering these warnings to the Hebrew church. Last week we looked at the fact that they were in danger of being cultural Christians. He has been using Psalm 95 to deliver these warnings, which was a reference to the wandering of Israel in the wilderness. And even though they had escaped Egypt and had seen many miracles of God, they failed to trust in God and believe in God and obey God. And as a result, they didn't see God's rest, which is a picture of salvation. And then in verse 11, the author gives another warning. And he says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of obedience or disobedience. And then in verse 12, he begins with that little word that we're all familiar with, that little word, for. And we have this connection to the previous verses. That is, that Israel had God's Word, but what did Israel do with God's Word? They disregarded it. And we must be careful that we do not follow their example of disobedience to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God exposes sin. And as verse 13 makes clear, God sees everything and we would be foolish to, be, 
be disobedient to God's word. So let's first see this morning that God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. As we look at verse 12, it seems pretty easy to see that the word of God is indeed powerful. Just look at how it's described as living, as active, as sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces, it divides, it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Yeah, that sounds to me like it's pretty powerful. I love what Charles Spurgeon says concerning the Word of God. He says this, You may study your sermon, my brother, and you may be a great rhetorician and be able to deliver it with wonderful fluency and force, but the only power that is effectual for the highest design of preaching is the power which does not lie in your Word, nor in my Word, but in the Word of God. Have you never noticed that when persons are converted, that they almost always attribute to some text that was quoted in the sermon? It is God's Word, not our comment on God's Word, which saves souls. The Word of God is powerful for all sacred ends. How powerful is it to convince men of sin? We have seen the self-righteous turned inside out by the revealed truth of God. Nothing else could have brought home to them such unpleasant truth and compelled them to see themselves as in a clear mirror, but the searching of the Word of God. How powerful is it, is it for conversion? It comes on board a man and without asking any leave from him, it just puts its hand on the helm, turns him around in the opposite direction from that in which he was going before. The man gladly yields to the irresistible force which influences his understanding and rules his will. The Word of God is that by which sin is slain. Grace is born in the heart. It is the light which brings life with it. The Word of God is powerful. It's powerful. Let's look specifically at what it says concerning how powerful the Word of God is. It first says that God's Word is alive. Verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is living. The Word of God lives because it lasts forever. Listen to what God's Word says about itself in Psalms 119.89. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Not to mention it is alive because it is the very breath of the eternal God, Second Timothy 3.16, tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible that we hold in our hands is alive. It's a living book. You can take up any other book, and yes, that book may speak to you, but it is not a living book like the Bible is. What other book brings Conviction brings the conviction of the Bible. What other book maps our way like the Bible? What other book speaks to our emotion like the Bible? What other book warms our heart like the Bible? What other book preaches to us like the Bible? It is a living book from the first word to the last word in it. It is alive. And it will never be exterminated. Ever. 
It will live forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. Not only is God's Word alive, but God's Word also makes alive. And I want to submit to you two ways that God's Word makes alive. First, God's Word makes alive dead sinners. God's Word makes alive dead sinners. We, we all have a problem. And you know what the problem is? It's this, that we can't truly understand God's Word. In fact, it says about itself again in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so we all have this problem. You say, well, how's that a problem? It's a problem because every single one of us is natural man. We are natural people. Every single one of us is natural. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We are dead sinners. And we can't will ourselves into spiritual life. When was the last time that you were at a funeral and the person in the casket sat up and walked out? Probably never. Because they can't will themselves to physical life. Because they're dead. And we can't will ourselves to spiritual life. Because we're dead. But glory be to God. That God, through His Word, makes us alive. He makes alive dead sinners. We don't bring life to Scripture. We draw life from the Scripture. Just like Lazarus came forth when the Lord cried out for him to come forth. He had no choice. He didn't sit there and say, well, you know what? I kind of like this being dead thing. I think I'll stay here for a while. No, he came forth. Listen, the Word of God makes alive dead sinners. James 1.18 Of His own will, not our will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. 1 Peter 1.23 Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. You want to see a dead sinner come alive, then give them the Word of God, not the Word of men. John said he wrote the Gospel for this specific reason in John 20 verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Listen, we come up with all kinds of methods and and ways to share the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with using methods. I use many methods myself. But God's Word makes alive dead sinners. To make sure that the method you 
used does not leave out the message. I challenge you this morning to proclaim the Word of God. Proclaim the Word of God to your neighbors. Proclaim the Word of God to your co-workers. Proclaim the Word of God to your friends. Proclaim the Word of God to your relatives. Well, well, Pastor, they, they might think I'm some sort of Jesus freak or something. They, they might think I'm some sort of radical Christian. Well, good! Because we need some radical Christians. We need some people that are going to take the Word of God and use it against dead sinners so that they can come alive. That's what we're called to do, church. But not only does God's Word make alive dead sinners, but God's Word renews near dead saints. There are many who would love to see Christianity fade away. There are many who would love to see those of us who preach the gospel stop preaching the gospel. There are many who sneer at the doctrines of the apostles and the early reformers and say, well, that's just an old religion that it no longer applies to us today. But what they say is not true. The gospel is living. It can't be silenced. It can't be faded away. And even when the saints are struggling and hurting and near dead, the Word of God breathes new life into them. You know, the Reformation was largely because Martin Luther found a copy of the Scriptures in a secluded monastery and the Word of God breathed life into him. If it were not for a single New Testament hidden away in some popish community, the Reformation would have never taken place. Luther would say this, I am bound in conscience and hold fast to the Word of God. That is the power of the Word of God. Lying there, influencing no one, until Martin Luther lays hold of it. Or should we say, until it lays hold of Martin Luther. Listen, when our soul is faint, dear Christian, and when you are struggling and you just want to die, a single word applied to your heart by the Spirit of God has quickened so many saints. There have been times in my own life where I've felt dead. I felt like I can't go on. I felt, what's the use? But the Word of God is not dead because it comes and it breathes life into someone like me. There's been times where you maybe you felt like you have one foot in the grave. And these words, which were spoken thousands of years ago, can come and impart to you life. Listen. When you've known God's salvation for a while, and you walk through that valley, you walk through that dry spell. God seems so distant. He uses His Word to renew the near-dead saint. David said, The law of the Lord is perfect, and it restores my soul. Throughout the Psalms, we can read how God's Word 
revives the near-dead saints. And so I say to you, run to the Word of God. When you're tired, go to the Word of God. When you're weary, go to the Word of God. When you're worn out, run to the Word of God. When you feel faint and saddened and hurting, run to the Word of God. When you feel as if you have one foot in the grave and like you can't go on any longer, His Word, run to it and let it renew you. Look into His Word and see God as He is and see yourself as you are. And while it may break you, it will also heal you. And so God's Word is alive and it makes alive dead sinners and it renews to life near dead saints. But not only that, but it says that God's Word is active. The Greek word for active here is energes. And it is where we get our English word for energy. Some of us may want some more of that sometimes. Like, I'm all out of energy. We want, we want that. It means that, what it means is that God's Word is effectual. In other words, God's Word accomplishes what God has intended for it to accomplish. So it is to say that when God speaks in this case through His Word, that God also acts. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish exactly what God wants it to accomplish. It will accomplish his purpose. And you know what? That's a, that's a great comfort for me as a pastor. When someone is convinced of their sin, it's because that's what God's Word has purposed to do. I know what some people think. They think, well, what about those people that hear the Word of God and then they reject the Word of God? What about them? I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus answers that very question. He says this, this is, why I speak to them in parables? Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. See, Jesus cites Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said that when people reject the gospel, they are fulfilling the word of God. The word is the same today as it was to those that wandered in the wilderness. It's either rest or wrath. 
That's the choice. John Owen said, Sometimes Christ designs by His Word the hardening and blinding of the wicked sinners that they may be the more prepared for deserved destruction. Let me read that again. Sometimes Christ designs by His Word the hardening and blinding of wicked sinners that they may be the more prepared for deserved destruction. God's Word will accomplish exactly what He wants it to accomplish. And it happens all the time. It has no regard for age or education. It doesn't matter whether you're 10 or 100. It's active. I can't tell you how many times someone has gotten bent out of shape over something that was said in a sermon. They get, get upset about something that was biblical or in conversation, maybe I've given them a biblical response and they get mad about that. One of the worst things I, I believe that we can possibly say as Christians is something along these lines. I don't know if this is biblical or not. Well, just stop speaking then. Because I don't need to hear it. What I found out is this. In, in my years of ministry... God's Word, it offends people. I don't know if you found that out or not, but it makes people mad. God's Word gets people angry. And here's what happens. Someone gets all mad and they either repent and get right with God or they harden their heart. But either way, God's Word has accomplished exactly what God set it out to do. Because it will always accomplish what He wants it to accomplish. When I stand up here and preach, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I, I prepare and I preach the sermon, but God's Word will accomplish in your heart this morning exactly what God wants it to accomplish. But not only that, not only is God's Word active, but it says that God's Word is sharp. The author of Hebrews says that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, a two-edged sword has no blunt side. It cuts both ways. That is what the author is making clear. It's a double-edged sword. It pierces clear to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow. The author is using this figurative language to make it clear to us that God's word is sharp. And it cuts. And it cuts deep. Clear to the very core of our being. It cuts our conscience. It wounds our heart. In other words, the Word of God is invasive. Unless you've so seared your conscience beyond any remedy, you can't read God's Word or hear it preached faithfully without it cutting you. Have you ever been cut by the Word of God? You ever had that? You, you go to the Word of God and it Exposes your sinful tendency. Every sinful habit and thought. There is no sin killer like the Word of God. It comes 
like a sword and it cuts us. The point of us being cut by the word of God is to bring healing to us, not to leave us wounded. Not only is the word of God like a sword, it's kind of like a, a scalpel and sends a fatal cancer that's, that's going on inside of us. And the word of God goes in and it cuts that sin out of our lives and it heals us completely. And it doesn't matter how deep that, that cut is. It heals us all the more. And when it puts to death the sin in our lives, it breathes new life into us. And so, don't be afraid of using the Word of God. Understand that God's Word is sharp. Understand that it's dangerous. It will cut you sometimes. We read something and we say, ow, that hurt. Don't harden your heart to God's Word. Don't harden your heart to biblical preaching, but allow God's Word to cut the cancer of sin out of your life and in turn bring healing to your life. Not only does is God's Word sharp, But God's Word is discerning. God's Word is discerning. The author has told us that God's Word is alive, it's active, it's sharp, and now he adds that word discerning. It discerns our thoughts and our intents of our heart. That word discerning is an adjective. It's characterized by careful evaluation and judgment of someone or something. The emphasis is that God's Word gives careful evaluation and judgment of the heart, which is the center of human selfhood. And when it speaks of thoughts, it's speaking of of thoughts related in a negative way to emotions that we try to keep hidden from others. But God knows, right? God's Word goes right into our heart, discerns where we're wrong. God's Word discerns what's in our heart, and if we really want to understand who we are, then dive into God's Word. Let it work in you. Read it. Meditate on it. Apply it. Let it discern your heart. This is why James says that God's Word is like a mirror, showing us who we really are. The wise Christian invites God's Word to come in and penetrate their heart. I can't tell you how many times people walked out of a sermon and said to me, Boy, Pastor, you really got me today. You stepped on my toes. Have you ever sat through a sermon and thought, How does he know what I went through this week? Has he been following me around? I can assure you I follow no one around. Okay, don't do that. That's what the Word of God does. Right? It lays us bare. We can't hide from it. It knows our innermost secrets, but it also helps us because it discerns those thoughts. And so, you have a bad thought, it tells you that thought's bad. So you have a good or acceptable thought, it tells you that's a good thought. You have a selfish thought, it reveals to you, hey, that's that's not good, that's selfish. You have a Christ-like thought, it reveals that to you. This is the Word of God. 
I've visibly witnessed preaching before people squirming in their pew at the gospel, trying to dodge it and try to get away from it. But the preaching of the Word of God penetrates the heart. The fact that God's Word discerns our heart is not always negative either. There are times that it brings great comfort. Some of you perhaps have had unkind words thrown in your face where people have found great fault with something about you. I've experienced that. I know what it's like trying to do something for the Lord and have the enemy slander you. But I take great delight in knowing that the Master always knows my motive. It is comforting to go to the Scripture and have God's Word discern the object of your heart. The Scripture never misrepresents you. It never misinterprets you. The Scripture inspires you to be a faithful servant of the Lord. No slander will ever survive the discernment of God's Word. I take great comfort in knowing that I will not be tried by the opinions of man, but by the impartial Word of God. And for that reason, I go to the Word and have it discern what's in my heart. So we've seen in verse 12 that the author of Hebrews is showing us that God's Word is powerful. And he's showing us it's powerful because it's alive, it's sharp, it's active, it's discerning, it's powerful to, to cut us, to rid ourselves of sin, to bring healing into our lives. It's, it's hard to rid yourself of sin that you're not aware of, but God's Word makes you aware of it. And it cuts into your inner thoughts, deep in your innermost being, and reveals areas where you are not pleasing God. So we can repent of it. It may bring comfort at times and distress. Now we need to quickly look at verse 13. And in looking at that, what I want us to see is this, that God sees all. There's absolutely nothing on the face of this earth that is hidden from God. Wherever you go and whatever you're doing, God sees it. That's what the author of Hebrews is making clear. As he moves from God's penetrating word to God himself seeing all things. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They tried to hide from God after they had sinned. By the way, we've been doing the same thing ever since, both sinning and trying to hide. But they couldn't hide from God. And neither can we. And this is very discomforting if we have something to hide. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good, Proverbs 15.3. The psalmist writes, You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence, Psalm 90, verse 8. This is what A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, 
all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things, visible and invisible, in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God sees it all. There's nothing in light or darkness that escapes the divine gaze of the Almighty God. And as sobering as that may be, the language that follows should be terrifying. Because it says, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Everything and everyone is naked before God. There is nowhere to hide. John Calvin in his institute says this, It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked on God's face and then descends from contemplating Him to scrutinizing Himself. Furthermore, it says that we are exposed. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where we find that word. And rarely is it found anywhere else. The actual meaning in this passage is uncertain. But here are things it does mean. Literally, it means to twist the neck or take by the throat. It was used in the bending back of the neck of a sacrificial animal to administer the fatal stroke. It was used as a wrestler who held their opponents by the throat, rendering them helpless. And it was used to describe a man being led to execution, who would have a knife placed under their chin so they could not bow their head in shame. Whatever the meaning, what is abundantly clear is that each and every one is in the grip of the Almighty God. And we are vulnerable and helpless and exposed to the eyes of Him who we must give an account. We are forced to imagine ourselves as naked, held helpless, exposed to God's awesome grip. Where His omniscient gaze is looking upon us. God can't be fooled. And our tricks and our hypocrisy doesn't work on God because He sees everything. That's why sin It's so stupid. Because even if it fools everyone else, it will never fool God. And it should be terrifying. Third, have your heart right before God. The very last phrase says, to whom we must give an account. One day we'll stand before God to give an account of the deeds we have done in this body. We should be desiring to please Him, not just in some outward obedience, but in our heart. It is terrifying to think that we will have to give an account. And if that is terrifying, then we should keep on reading, because as we will see, Jesus is our sympathetic high priest who invites us to draw near to the throne of grace and to receive mercy and grace 
and to help us in our time of need, which we'll get to in the future. However, in order for this to happen, He has to be your high priest in the most personal way. Salvation is not a group plan. You can't get in on the group plan. It's not enough to go to church or be from a Christian family. You have to have your own personal heart right before God. You must be diligent about entering God's rest through faith in Christ displayed in our obedience. Every true believer in Christ will be able to rid themselves of the power of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. They want to get rid of sin on a heart level because they desire to please the Savior. The Word of God is our only hope, the good news of God's promise, and the warning for His judgment. It's alive. It's sharp enough. It's living enough. It's active enough to penetrate your heart and reveal your sin. I want to close this morning by giving you six practical applications from this passage of Scripture. Six practical applications. First, respect and treasure God's Word above all else. You know, we live in a day and a time when Christians are consistently seeking out secular psychologists. And they pay them hundreds or thousands of dollars for advice that is devoid of God's Word. And yet they won't read their Bible for wisdom on how to conduct their life. People will say, but, but I need some, I need something practical. I need practical advice on, I'm having relationship problems here and I need practical advice. Why do you think the Bible was written? Why do we think the Bible doesn't relate to us about relationships? In fact, Jesus summed it all up when He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds pretty practical to me. Let me be clear. It is a sin to neglect God's Word. You say, well, Pastor, I've, I've never heard that before. Well, now you have heard it. But it's also a sin to turn to the empty wisdom of the world for direction in your life. And not only is it a sin, it's just dumb. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't, I'm not, I can never fathom why we, why we get the direction for our life from Oprah. I mean, God's Word tells us how to live. Why do we think the world is going to give you godly counsel? It's not. So, respect and treasure God's Word above everything else. And so, it should be your filter. You hear something, well, that doesn't really line up with God's Word, so you reject it. Or you hear it, and it is God's Word, and you receive it. Number two. Draw close to God's Word. I don't know where you are in your life concerning God's Word. 
But what I mean by that is spend time reading God's Word, studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word, and meditating on God's Word. It's alive. And when we find ourselves near death, we need God's Word. When you have nothing to say, let God speak to you through His Word. When you have devotion, search God's Word and let it speak. And then pray and praise God speaking to Him. Use God's Word. You know, a couple years ago, I was on a mission trip to Haiti and we were up in the mountains and the pastor was getting us up like every four hours or whatever it was to spend an hour in prayer. Like every four hours. He's like, okay, it's time for prayer. Come in, wake us up. And, we, and we'd go and pray for an hour. And one of the people on the team said, how in the world are you praying for an hour? And I said to them, I said, I just pray through Psalms. I just open up the book of Psalms and I start praying stuff to God from Psalms. And it's like light bulbs went on. Wow, never thought of that. And then they started doing it. You've got to use God's Word. Draw close to it. Know it. Memorize it. You memorize verses of Scripture that will allow you to be obedient to God's Word. He says, Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11 We memorize Scripture so we have it when you need it. So draw close to God's Word. Third, practical step. Apply and obey God's Word. The point of us looking in the Scripture and having Bible study and memorizing Scripture is not so you can pat yourself on the back and say, wow, I'm sure I'm smart about this Bible stuff. i got a lot of Bible knowledge. The point is that you would change your heart or that you would allow God's Word to change your heart. We go to the Word of God and study it with obedience in mind. When you go into God's Word, you should be studying it saying, okay, I'm ready to obey what I read. Fourthly, expose your heart to God's Word. Don't try to hide sin or sinful thoughts. If the Word of God convicts you, stop and confess it. Talk to God about it. If you've wronged someone or sinned against a brother or sister in Christ, go to them and ask for forgiveness. Remember, God's Word knows every sinful thought you've ever had. And He still sent His Son as a penalty for your sin. Expose your heart to God's Word and deal with sin in your life. Don't keep it hidden. Fifthly, allow God's Word to do its work. What I mean by this is sometimes we try to do the work of God's Word. We try to use our own cutting words to show someone that they're wrong. I'm going to really show them that I'm really smarter than they are. Remember, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You don't need to fight Christ's war with the tools of Satan. God's Word cuts. If you want to attack error, you do it with the truth. If you want to prove that, that something's crooked, then you get a straight one to show that it's crooked. That's the way the Word of God is. Let God's Word do its work. You don't need to take stuff out of it. You don't need to make it more palatable so it can do its work. It will 
pierce the heart on its own. Your words don't do that. God's word does that. Allow God's word to do its work. Also along this line, allow it to be the discerner and critic of your thoughts and intents, not man. If God's word approves you, then you're approved. If it disapproves you, you're disapproved. Let God's word decide. Let God's word be your guide and your gospel and nothing else. Sixthly and lastly, Take in as much preaching as possible. And I'm not saying that just because it's a long sermon. Okay? I, I just, I'm terrible at jokes. It's, nobody laughs at my jokes. But t- take in as, as much preaching as possible. Don't get stuck in the modern day of preaching where you hear 15 minute devotion and you call it good. Calvin said of verse 12. If anyone thinks that there that the air is beaten by an empty sound when the word of God is preached, he is greatly mistaken, for it is a living thing and full of hidden power, which leaves nothing in man untouched. When I say take in as much preaching as possible, I'm saying saturate yourself with the word of God. Listen to sermons, take them in, think them over, be diligent, study them. Read them. Don't fall into the wilderness like the Israelites did. And so, this morning, you've heard much from God's Word. You've heard that you are not hidden from God's sight. That His gaze is on you. Will you be obedient? What will you do? If you're trusting in sin, I hope you turn from the deceptive promises of sin and trust in an all-satisfying God. I pray that you respect God's Word and draw close to God's Word and apply God's Word and expose your heart to God's Word and allow God's Word to do its work and that you'll take in as much preaching as possible. My prayer is that you will take the Word of God and it will be applied to your life today. And if this morning you're sitting in your pew and you're saying, I've not been applying God's word, it goes in one ear, it goes out the other, I don't listen to it, I'm not obedient to it, I don't do these things that you said, Pastor, my prayer is that today you will start. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and if, if you want prayer, I'd be glad to pray with you. If you want to pray on your own, you can come up here and pray on your own. You can pray on your own in your pew. But here's my challenge. Don't be disobedient to what you've just heard today. Maybe today you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Let's close a prayer.